Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to Humans of Fintech. This is a lot of fun. This is a podcast where I I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders that are really working on bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson, founder and creator of What the Fintech. It is a content platform that places women and marginalized entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, you name it, at the center of the fintech industry's narrative. US-based Latinos create 50% of all new employer-based businesses and wield $2.7 trillion in economic power. Yet, Latino entrepreneurs have had difficulty attaining the capital from banks and investors needed to survive and scale. The conversation around raising capital for diverse founders at the early stage is long overdue. So today, my guests and I will demystify the fundraising process and the gaps in the system where it can better serve Latino founders. I am so stoked to be joined by Laura Lucas. She's a partner at Latitude Ventures, which just recently announced its first institutional fund close, raising more than $100 million dollars to invest in Latino-owned businesses. So, I mean, that's really cool. Like, yeah? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, thank you again for joining me. It's beautiful. How are you you doing? How are you you feeling? How's the the energy after the the adrenaline rush of being here? Yeah, no, I got here with two minutes to spare, so I'm feeling pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're feeling like this is meant to be. I am meant to be here. Well, to kick us off, I do kind of want to go into almost like a narrative shift in the discussion here. Historically, the discussion around Latino-owned businesses or any underrepresented groups or marginalized groups is around that, just talking about how they are underrepresented. But honestly, this is a growth story. This is a story about a community of people that are overlooked but are changing and growing significantly. Will you just speak to that first to get us started? One of the things that obviously has been a big narrative within the venture space is that not a lot of capital has gone to diverse GPs and diverse founders. You know, over the last, I'd say, five years, that has slowly started to change. But what we saw is, yes, there's that narrative of that that they're not getting the capital. But we're now seeing that they're getting some of that capital. There's a lot of GPs that are focused on that and even larger P firms are investing in that. Why? Because if you look at who's creating small businesses today, one in four are Latinos. That is something that can't be ignored. And so we thought, hey, you know, we're going to bet on this community and we know it's a growth cohort. Um, If you take it, it's the eighth largest economy right now. So we know that it's going to create incredible unicorn businesses And that's why we decided to build our entire thesis around investing only in U.S. Latinos. So that is here in the U.S., not in LATAM. It's focusing on those entrepreneurs who have a Latino or Latina background and building those businesses here. Will you let our audience know, like, which areas of focus you're really into? We know fintech. Yeah. We're on the Humans (laughs) of Fintech podcast. But what other kind of fundamental opportunities are there for Latino-owned businesses? Yes. So we invest in early stage, pre-seed, seed, seed, and series A. Our average tech size is 750. Our largest position right now is 5 million, but we can go up 
and then we can syndicate up as well. So we look at really all industries because we didn't want to say, hey, we want to focus on Latinos and just double down on fintech, although that is a large part of our portfolio. We knew that there was opportunities across the board and and it's where you can think. It's in ed tech because you know, we want more education, we want equal opportunity and have access to education. And we want healthcare, we want health tech, which is another big area that we focus on, um, because that's an area where we want more accessible health and, you know, equal opportunity in those areas. And then, you know, we're building great CPG brands, workforce tech, and and really uh, all across the board. Uh, One of the largest growth areas that we've seen also is in and Web3 and crypto. Crypto specifically because, you know, if you look at traditionally what it takes to have access in the financial markets, you need to have a bank account, a credit score, et cetera, et cetera. And so those are areas where it really helps us as a Latino community have broader access to capital because it doesn't generally require those things. And just for, to kind of set the stage also, there are some really interesting stats from Bain and Company that share if investors equitably funded today's Latino-owned business population with non-Latino and white-owned businesses, they would generate $1.4 trillion in additional revenue today and $3.3 trillion in additional revenue by 2030. So it's it's an interesting story, right? It is that growth story. We're telling the Latino-owned businesses that, you know, hey, we have money here to, to fund you. But then, you know, you probably have to still decipher through a lot of probably, uh, honestly, un- unconscious biases or folks being like, you know, why, despite numbers like this, right? People being like, but why, why this? You know, how is that why story kind of playing out for you? Is it more, are you presenting it more of a business case or more of like an ethical case or both? I think the why, again, is is just because it's a, it's a huge growth opportunity. If you look at Again, the GDP and where who's buying and spending and and all that, it's a large part of the consumption is the Latino community. From my standpoint, the why is because we're, you know, graduating from elite schools now. Um, we're building businesses. And what I've seen that's interesting in just our portfolio is that as these founders are building businesses, they're already creating a diverse ecosystem within their own company because they'll bring in more women, they'll bring in more people of color, and they'll build their teams like that. And then if you think about when they start creating their boards or you know getting into the later stage of growth, they'll look at creating those diverse boards so that then they can have that same baseline as they get potentially into later stages of growth or an IPO. So I think just the why is that they're, they're, you know, essentially going to create these incredible businesses that automatically become more diverse just by the nature of them being Latino or Latina or, you know, black or brown. And I love that because it completely resonates with the thesis of what I even created, what the fintech for, which is that if we can put the stories of women and underrepresented groups at the center of an industry's narrative, then maybe more women and more underrepresented groups would actually want to work in that industry and that they would see themselves at the top. And so you're, as a woman, sitting in the partner seat at a VC firm, a Latino-owned or VC firm, what are some of those conversations maybe that you're having either between the 
Latino-owned businesses that you work with or even within your own internal, you know, how are you navigating some of those, those conversations? So a lot of the founders in our community is how they can access a bigger pool of capital because generally what's happened to the founders is they get maybe a small pool of capital, 100K, half a million, and then they have to work harder to get that next milestone. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to fund them with a large amount of capital at the beginning so they can really start to scale. They can start building teams. They can start growing. So before they would raise, you know, like I said, a hundred or half a million, and then they'd have to work again to try to fundraise again. And it would, it's harder to build businesses that way when you're constantly out doing that and your mindset is there. So um, what we've seen is because we've been able to fund them with, you know, a million or, you know, a larger amount of capital pool, that that's really allowed them to accelerate and really be competitive with some of their counterparts when they truly have a high growth business. So that is one way that I think, you know, the founders have really seen that. And then the other thing is network, right? We all are here in this beautiful place and we, this is an incredible network to be a part of. So a lot of our founders within the Latino and diverse communities and even women don't have access to a broader network. And so that's what we try to do. We try to connect them with this incredible network of people that can really support them. The partners that are alongside me is one of my partners is the C former CEO of United Airlines, and he's the chairman now. So Oscar Munoz is my partner, and you know he's an incredible Latino who has built an incredible, I mean, name for himself being the CEO of United Airlines, and now he sits on the board of Salesforce and Fidelity and CBRE. So when we think about the companies that we're helping, it's like, okay, how can you go, you know, grow into a a fast growth company, what does United need that we could essentially change for you? And then we start bringing them into this ecosystems that we have access to, to really help catalyze them. It's a different conversation that our community isn't used to having this access. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting though, because your community is, I feel like used to maybe a conversation around like community, right? Like the Latino community is so tight. So now it's also involving access to that, when we think about maybe fintech specifically, what are some important growth areas for you to address for your community? Because as we know, traditional financial systems have not always been in inclusive here. It's very easy. You you just need to offer them a bank account. Like a lot of a lot of people, a lot of hey. people don't even don't even have access to the bank account because they have. But now that's changing because there's all these new fintech solutions that are capturing the unbanked. Why? Because they're creating ways for them to rate them and create uh, different types of credit scores. So like repayments. Like they notice that Latinos and Black and Brown communities tend to pay their rent like on time all the time and that's one because they need a roof over their head so they're creating these different ways for them to see and to really capture how they can measure you know payment and and fidelity when it comes to to fintech and so just creating opportunities to have a bank, bank account so that they can then have access to savings so then they can have access to other opportunities that come with that like credit and then potentially investment, it's it's a building block, but just really basically the fundamentals that a lot of people hadn't had before, which now, like you like I mentioned, there's 
a lot of new innovative ways to capture the NBANKS community. Interestingly, I recently got back from a trip to Mexico myself, and experiencing that culture is interesting, right? The community is there, but there's also, you know, when you go to maybe a, a smaller town, I went to my partner's father's town where he grew up, he's from Mexico, and there's like a little bit of a conservative sense around things that aren't maybe so traditional. So do you think that there'll be a challenge to help introduce the world of fintech to your community because it isn't considered a conventional way of, you know, of a, a financial system, you know, despite the old way excluding them? Do you think that they'll still be able to build that that trust? Well, there's definitely going to need to be a lot of education. There is going to be a big learning curve and trust. Like you, you said, you know, a lot of times when our community has gotten loans, they're predatory and they've had high interest rates and just a lot of different things that it's going to take them a while to really understand and, and trust the, the ecosystem. But I think there's there's uh, new ways that through education and through different opportunities within our own community that if we start building that um, and sharing those experiences, they'll be able to trust and then have broader access to, to that. And kind of the ecosystem you're building, right, between focusing on not just fintech, but also like edtech and health tech and all of that, right? That kind of... Yeah, it all feeds together. Yeah, it creates like a flywheel effect for, for all of it. Is there one area in particular that you think is like the ultimate block, like building block, foundational block? Is it fintech? Is it health? Is it... Do you think it's fine? I mean... I mean, I think it starts with education. Education. Yeah, I think it starts with education because when you know, you have access and opportunity in, in some of the most elite schools here in the U.S., it really changes the direction and growth of, of where you go. And um, we're seeing that because a lot of our community is com- now coming out of MIT, Harvard, Stanford, and there's big groups that are, are being able to work together to help drive a new generation and a new ecosystem. And they are they're fierce. I You know, we have a big program with some of the the schools actually UC Regents um, which is UC investments which is the all the UC system here in California is one of our biggest investors so they invested 15 million in latitude ventures because they knew that doubling down on the Latino community especially right here in UC Irvine California. is going to yeah. be incredible opportunity and that's where we're seeing the growth I'm stuck on what you said earlier about the the network. You know, as even just as I I evolve and my my branding evolves, I am definitely understanding the uh, the network is your net worth saying. Yeah. So when it comes to you know being the hand or the partner, right, that elevates uh, and brings in more Latino-owned businesses and 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 investors and all those kind of people into the space. I mean, what's maybe your your piece of advice to others? that want to be that hand as well? Because I think sometimes people have a hard time thinking of where to start. I mean, look, venture. So I was an entrepreneur in 2009 when like, you know, and I, I launched a fashion subscription service when nobody knew what fashion subscription was. And I went all through Silicon Valley, knocking on doors of traditional VCs. And they were like, yeah, no, you know, this is going to be, uh, at first, nobody was doing subscription back then. 
But I think now there's a lot more resources and access and information like what the fintech and Axios and all of these other, you know, crunch base and everything (laughs) that you can uh, look at to understand what actually the venture community is focused on and how to how to build that out. So I think just educating yourself about venture, first of all, and then understanding like what that landscape looks and there. So there's more opportunity there for you to engage and, and grow in it. And my path was definitely not linear. It wasn't like, hey, I want to go into venture. It was I was an entrepreneur. I had, you know, I was in the financial markets for a while. I then left my nine to five after being in the financial markets, I became an entrepreneur. And then I got lucky to work at NASDAQ and ran uh, capital markets for them for the last three years. I ran some of the largest IPOs, including Airbnb and Lyft. And that created this full circle of understanding capital structure from the beginning to the end and and who has access to that at the very later stages. So I was like, wow, this is really rigged. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, you're right, though. It it is. It's so and it's so interesting that you say that. I recently wrote a piece like and it it was based on some research by a historian and she kind of broke down the history of VC. And like, it's just the thing that we have to kind of understand and accept. But at the end of the day, like the structures of venture capital were not created with diversity in mind. They simply were not. It just is what it is. And so we're literally sitting here trying to completely change a system that was like, well, unless someone looks like you or was already successful in the past, then I'm not going to invest in them. It is way too risky or I don't resonate with whatever it is that they the problem that they have. Sorry, it doesn't relate to me. But when majority of, you know, partners are white or white men, that's a problem. I mean, let's not even talk about white or white men. Let's just talk about bad ideas like like, <laughs> like, like Adam Newman. I mean, there's a clear example I mean, of somebody I who, could spend the next 30 minutes talking about that. Let's who, go. like, you know, he basically, I ran, I was actually working at NASDAQ when we were working on the WeWork IPO. And I was in the room with a lot of those <laughs> those conversations. Tea. Tea. Spill the tea. And, and it was like, okay, is this seriously happening? And then it, you know, it went out, you know, they went out on their roadshow. Obviously, everybody knows what happened there. And now he's getting a ton of money for another idea that, I don't know. That's named. Again, bad idea. Oh, please. (laughs) Flow. Yeah, flow. Anyway, no, but I. Flow, flow the money right down the street. (laughs) Right, right down to the, oh my gosh. Well, you've thought of his new tagline, so that's good. But yeah, I mean, I, when, when that news happened, that was a wild thing and it took, a lot of me realizing that while it is like a slap in the face to women and underrepresented founders that that don't receive that type of attention or opportunity, are you kidding me? After failing and all the toxic behaviors, um, but it just showed those clear discrepancies there between how one type of person is treated and another. But the thing is like, we shouldn't be so surprised, right? Because like, I I mean, it shouldn't happen obviously, but like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, again, tying him back to the network, right? Because he can just call up that network that he has. And that's what we're really focused on changing. So with our partners having, it's it's not a traditional partner because I have very senior partners that have access to potentially some of the same, you know, whether it's corporate platforms, partners, or financial capital that maybe the 
Andreessen's, Adam Newman's, and all of them have access to. So that's what, you know, building those ecosystems in the Latino community and the black community, and even for women. I think what you're getting at is for a long time, it was about how do we fit us into their narrative, right? How do we play Adam Newman's game? But instead, but we all know that's not a real game to play. Like, it, it won't work out for you, right? So, like, unless you're Adam Newman. But, like, so then instead it's about building an entirely different one. And that comes with a lot of naysay. It comes with a lot of people. I feel like sometimes people think the stuff that I write about, these things that I write about, these very real historical things that happened way back when in Silicon Valley, back when VCs even just, like, started. Like, it's made up, it's some, but this is history. This is really what's happening. So how do you, like, rewrite history, right? To be, like, more like her story or or that kind of thing. I think just um, creating more transparent ecosystems, building communities in non-traditional areas. Like, even though Huntington Beach is beautiful, like, probably not a lot of founders that I would be speaking to mm -hmm. would be, you know, around hanging out right here. So you got to go into non-traditional areas and tr try to find where these people are, are and living. You know, I was at, at an event last weekend in Napa that was incredible, but it was in Napa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like not, yeah. you just have to go to these other areas where, potentially people don't have that network and, and try to start building it and create transparency and education and, and build it out. So I'm really excited that, you know, again, we are working with the UC system. So um, that's one thing that as they start to see, you know, their startup community build within the UC, we'll tap into that and really start to support them out of the, out of the schools themselves and then try to drive and accelerate their growth into if entrepreneurship is of interest. Um, yeah, so. awesome. And start, starting at the university level is amazing. You know, what other organizations are you working with to create this real change for your community? That we yeah. Maybe it's the UN. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'm on the I'm on the board of uh, Cal Lutheran, which is you know up the way. I'm mostly working with their. Innovation Hub, again, a lot of startups are coming out of there and they have a, a big focus on Latinos. I'm also an advisor to 500 startups, so I kind of tap into their ecosystem and their ecosystem is very global. So I've run their cohorts for LATAM, Uruguay, and Peru, and there's a lot of innovation coming out of LATAM right now. And then finally, I'm also a board member for Pangea Legal, which is a nonprofit organization that helps uh, asylum refugees at the border and gets them supported with legal representation. So when they don't have legal representation, we come in and we help them so that they can, you know, get a fair trial. And so what I've seen is really just like a breadth of different things happening in, in the world, really, where you have incredible people that just want a greater opportunity at life going through our immigration system and then you have these other communities like 500 startups that are you know reaching in globally to try to find the next uh, level of talent and then you have our universities that are also really working hard on accelerating and empowering entrepreneurship across the board so 
How can you help Latino startups that don't have much collateral? Typically, minorities tend to not own homes, as do multi-generational white business owners. That is an obvious question. I did not put that one together. But thoughts? Well, so like I mentioned, one of the ways that, that we're seeing is that there's new ways to create how to measure you know, they're a collateral, like, for example, repayment. So repayment on their electrical bills, repayment on their rent. Um, There's some new uh, fintech platforms like Listo, um, which are, are being created so that, hey, if you're paying on time on, let's say, your auto loan or your, your auto payments, then eventually we'll extend an auto loan to you. Um, and then once you start repaying your auto loan, then we'll extend potentially a home loan to you. So it's just like building blocks as you start building that. Again, in a very non-traditional way, but that's being built out in these other fintech platforms that are being provided to diverse communities. And I will say, you know, I'll give a big shout out to, not that the bank needs a Bank of America, but they've been working. (laughs) Bank of America has been working really closely with us and supporting small businesses. So they've uh, been really kind of reaching out and doing untraditional things to try to help support um, small business owners. Oh, that's awesome. That's good to know. I I didn't know that. And that's that's nice to hear. I mean, at the end of the day, as fun as it is to be in fintech and be like, burn down the banks. It's like, uh, (laughs) we also kind of need to work with them a little bit. So it's nice to know that some of the more traditional ones are working with you and the work that you're doing because some of their competitors are like rejecting like 50% of their black mortgage uh, applicants. So anyways, we don't have to name them. It's Wells Fargo. So moving on, what educational initiatives are most successful? What I've seen be really successful is when at the, you know, when you have someone who's a graduate student, when you have their parents be a part of that educational system with them at the later stage because Latinos, you know, we are very tightly knit with our family, but we also need their support and understanding to be able to like, hey, why do you need to go on to X, Y, and Z in terms of education? Bringing them in with you and helping them understand like the opportunities that 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 creates for you as you go through it instead of, hey, you need to finish high school and then go work because we need to pay rent for our other commitments that we have. And that's very traditional where like uh, in a Latin family or, you know, low income family where they don't send their kids off to higher education because they need to work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So bringing them into the fold and really starting to help them understand like why it's really crucial for them to find ways to support that is extremely important. And I think just, again, building an ecosystem to help the family be supported is very important. And well well said, and thank you for saying that because the line of business and personal or they don't mix is like, we all know that's BS. So we need to be more aware of, of that, of the conversation that is being had with the family, with the community directly around you and the people closest to you because it, it matters. And regardless of what you're doing in business. All right, so I want to do some like putting in the work, getting to know you a little bit more questions for our as we as we kind of close out here. So sitting in your seat as a partner in the VC world, it is incredibly impactful. Let's just say it, she badass, right? <laughs> Anyways, so 
especially given your lack, the lack of representation in VC does trickle down to the lack of funding of women and other underrepresented groups. So what are some of your, I guess, best practices for being one of the few women in your position? What would you say to the, to the woman listening to this or in the audience or the little girl that's like, I want to do that one day, but I'm, I'm scared. You know, I touched on it a, a bit early or about you know, helping you kind of start educating yourself with all the free resources. But I would say really look for a mentor that is somebody that you uh, see in, in that you can connect with. And I would say I've reached out to people that I thought weren't accessible. Uh, and it's been really, really great to see that they have actually were open to the opportunity to to meet with me. And I wasn't, you know, in anywhere where I am today. And even if it's not somebody that's very high up, just somebody that you think about, look, this is what I'd like to be. And maybe I want to go in that direction and start talking to people in those fields, just as like feedback. How did you get there? What do you do? What would you recommend? And so just ha start having those conversations outside of just, you know, learning it online or, or in having free resources towards it and then just start having those conversations and you'll be surprised how many people actually want to help. Like they really do want to help because when you, you know, when we're all at this stage or older, it's like how we think about like, how do we help the next generation either not make the same mistakes that we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we did or <laughs> figure out how to make it better for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. And that's something I even just learned. I learned here at the conference, even just yesterday, talking to one of the women that inspired me. And she was on my podcast very early when I first started. So kudos to her. But, um, you know, even her sharing about it's really about us sitting in our power and, and owning that power. And then it is on us. It's on us here on this earth to create a pathway for the next generation to actually follow. And if we don't do that, then we kind of we then we miss out on on the opportunity that you know we're kind of here on this earth to to really do, and that is a very intentional thing. You have to be very intentional about creating that pathway. It's not you you know you don't just like exist in it and it magically happens, right? It's about being open enough to having those conversations. Like it's awesome that you're able to reach out to someone maybe high profile that you're like, why would they ever talk to me? But you just put yourself out there and they sometimes they will. You never know when someone will say yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how things come full circle, right? Because yeah. like, actually, what was weird was uh, two years ago, I actually knew about one of the partners in the fund. And when I heard him on CNBC, I was like, that guy gets me, that guy knows. And I was trying to reach out to his EA. And, you know, she's like, well, he's very busy, blah, blah, blah. And I, she's like, here, just send him information. So I just started sending him information. <laughs> like I was just like blowing up yes, his queen. email. <laughs> and then know. like a year or, or two years later, I get a call from somebody that said, oh, Soul wants to talk to you because you've been continuing to send him information about what you're focused on. And I mean, that was like a full circle moment for me yeah. because- you never know where that's going to go, even though it's not there right at that time that you do it. It somehow ends up connecting if you continue to do things like that. Yeah, exactly. And that has led us to an audience question of what organizations can advisors reach out to to begin this mentoring? It's a good question. It depends on 
what specifically, but if you're looking for venture capital, I mean, I would start with all the accelerators. They they love resources and, and mentorship. I, I think YC, Techstars, 500, there's more popping up all the time. They're looking for people to come into their ecosystem to help support uh, the startup. So I think that's a great area. The universities as well, um, anybody who's creating an innovation lab like UC Irvine um, or Cal Lutheran, they both have innovation labs. Those are areas where you can participate and start working with the younger generation and, and educate them on startups and, and what you guys have going on. So I think those are great channels. And hey, nowadays you can just start your own podcast. <laughs> you can. <laughs> and then you create your own network and then you start. Yeah, you know, it's a thing. I even I barely I haven't even been doing my podcast for a year, y'all. And um, even even I'm finding myself mentoring, you know, that next generation of future journalists that are interested in doing things in a different way and not interested in doing it in the more traditional way. They want to use their voice. They want to create that pathway for, for more women to enter B2B media anyways. But um, OK, so one of my final questions for you, one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is if we want to be the change that we want to see, what change do you want to see in VC and how will you embody it? Well, I definitely want to see more transparency, more opportunity, higher access of pool of capitals going across the board, not just like tightly held in one area. And I think, you know, the opportunity for me to change it is, is to continue to do what I'm doing right now. And then hopefully we're at a hundred million dollar fund. Hopefully our next fund is half a billion and then a billion or me even going to a billion so I can start bringing those entrepreneurs that deserve to IPO and build wealth at the later stages so that they can pour that back into their communities. So, yeah, that's how I think we'll be able to change that. Well said. I, I love it. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining me today. Thank you for coming out here, for bearing this heat. It's kind of nice right here. There's a fan near me giving me AC. So if I could just spend the rest of my time here, I will. I, will I take that. know. <laughs> but, and, we're, oh. and we're in shade. <laughs> oh, okay. I was not going to lie. So I was about to, I still have time on the clock. Oh, no, oh. I'm still here. There's an, there's an audio, <laughs> audio or audience question. Yeah. All right. Are there any efforts to reach teens while they are in high school to inspire them to follow an entrepreneurial path? i.e. kids not heading to elite schools? You know, I recently met with a startup that is doing this to help bring opportunities. Oh, actually, a startup, and we also have a startup in our um, portfolio that works with high school kids where they basically start to develop just their work ethic. So one's called, I'll give a shout out to, it's called Tadouli, and he's our portfolio company. And so they basically work with high school kids where, hey, if you want to go help, you know, a construction site or if you want to help clean a yard. And then based on that, the reviews come in and that helps build like what profile you did well. And those accelerate then like different things that they become, you know, good skilled at. Mm -hmm. And so these are things that will are soft skills that build resumes eventually at the later stages. So they kind of own it. They get a sense of ownership on what they're doing good. And then that helps encourage them to continue to uh, build these these skills in, you know, at the early stage from high school all the way up to 
hopefully higher education. So that's one where there's these startups that are building that and and then some are actually encouraging them from high school to go directly in the workforce, kind of like the Elon Musk uh, thing that, that everybody wants to do. But I still, you know, so just creating that really uh, also skilled ways to reach the kids where they, if there's something they're really excelling at, being able to put in programs that help them excel in those areas, specifically like uh, uh, right now, everybody obviously knows gaming is a big um, area. Oh, and if they that. see that that's something that they're excelling at, then building channels to help them really emphasize that in a productive way. So I love that. Well, well said for a, for a final audience question. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining me. This is so much fun. I'm also very excited about the gaming industry as well. So, well, we will have to continue this conversation yeah. uh, soon. Please give it up for Laura for coming through. Hey. Yay. I know. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.